trapped. Have you ever been trapped before? Anyone? Ever been trapped before? I mean, like, seriously trapped where you couldn't, okay? Um, heard of sleep paralysis. Anyone have that? Yeah? Um, years ago, as a teenager, I, uh, I, I, I could never figure it out, but on Sunday afternoons, we'd, we'd go home on Sunday afternoons. I didn't have preaching in the evening service, so I would, I would try to take a nap sometimes. But uh, I stopped taking naps about midway through my teenage years because I, something would happen to me on, uh, specifically when I was taking naps. I would, I, would, I would be going into sleep or out of sleep, and it felt like I would, I'd go into this, this point where I couldn't move, but I was fully aware. It is the worst feeling in the whole wide world to this date I don't like Sunday afternoon naps because of that. I don't know if it happens anymore, but I don't like it. Um, and it's just probably a few seconds that it happens, but those few seconds feel like an eternity, and you can, you can think, you can hear, you can, you can, you're aware of everything around you, but you cannot move. And uh, they call it, I guess it, it's happening when your body goes uh, kind of, uh, it doesn't go smoothly between the sleep cycles. And so I don't, I don't know, I don't care to be there, so I don't really take naps that often. But I'll tell you, that's the feeling of trapped. You're helpless. Like, if it stays this way, it's going to be a bad, bad deal, all right? Uh, the matter of being trapped, none of us want to be in a situation where we're trapped. Guys at work, you don't want to be in a situation where you're trapped. No one wants to be trapped in a fire. No one wants to be trapped anywhere. We want to have freedom to move uh, freely. And as we've just witnessed, uh, that feeling of being trapped is a, a helpless helpless feel, um, feeling, but in reality, God wants us to understand that every single one of us is, is indeed trapped. We are trapped, and the Bible says in Romans 5 and verse number 12, we're trapped in our sin. It says it this way, wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, so that death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. So we're trapped in this our sin, and that is the, the, the action of breaking God's law. We all sin because we're sinners. We were born sinners, the Bible says. And whenever we break God's law, we, we sin. The Bible tells us that in 1 John uh, 4 and verse number 3. So it's important that we understand that sin is not in comparison to another person, but sin is always in comparison to holy God. And when we break his law, we are sinning and all of us are trapped in this constant cycle of, of sinning. We are born into this world, um, the Bible says, even speaking lies. I mean, you, you don't believe that, just have a, have a newborn that's just been fed, everything's been, and their diapers changed, everything is taken care of, and then they scream out like they're dying, and, and they don't have a need for anything, um, they just want attention. And so even in the, in the, uh, the smallness of their life, the, the early stages of their life, the Bible says that we come forth from the womb speaking lies. So it's important that we all realize that sin has indeed trapped us, and it is a real thing. Uh, as I think about the Ten Commandments, all of us are fairly familiar with the Ten Commandments, but God had revealed to us his laws that govern govern us that are that we're responsible to obey and you know what's going on right now as I've, I've i've taken note over the past i would say 15 20 years we've heard time and time again where uh 10 commandments will be removed from school or 10 commandments will be removed from a courthouse we remember down in alabama or out in oklahoma uh the 10 commandments being removed and you know what oftentimes happens we want to remove the the law we want to say i don't like it because it shows me up, it shows me my sin, so let's just get rid of it. And that's what our society has done. It's removed it out of our sight. It's removed it out of our schools. By the way, how's that working out for us? Anyone here this last week that on TikTok, everyone is, uh, that there was the encouragement to go shoot up your school? How's this working out? Doesn't the Ten Commandments tell us not to kill? Right? And so if we left them in there, maybe, maybe our children would have understood that it's not right to even threaten to shoot up the school. Are you with me now? So you see how this is coming full? So we've removed God's law, yet God's law hasn't changed. God's law is forever settled in heaven, and anytime we break it, we sin. Anytime we tell a lie, we sin. Anytime we cheat on our spell, it, we sin. Anytime we commit adultery, we sin. Anytime we covet, we sin. That's a non-negotiable. It doesn't change. 
Sin is the breaking of God's law. And humanity, from the moment in the garden when Adam and Eve took, uh, took the, to eat of the fruit, whether it was an apple, whether it was some fruit that we don't know, whatever it was, it was from a tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that God said, in the day that you eat thereof, you will surely die. You will die, Adam and Eve. And they did, and the Bible came true. And I'll explain that in a moment. But God said, don't, and they did. They disobeyed. The very first sin was disobedience. Isn't that interesting? It was simply breaking God's law. And it plunged the whole human race into being trapped in their sin, in the breaking of God's law. It's so much so that men afterwards, every man, woman, and child afterwards, was, was trapped in the cycle. When Satan would tempt them to sin, they sinned. And it was, this, it was a part of their flesh. It was what they're trapped in. And so you understand the reality of that. Why can't I stop sinning? Well, because you're trapped. You're trapped. Until something happens with your sin, until you come to the Lord Jesus Christ, you're trapped in your sin. Sin is our choice. God did not force sin upon us. It was our choice. We're all created with a free will. Every single one of us is created with a free will. We choose to sin, and yet we're trapped inside of that sin. God told us in the book of Matthew 5, verse number 48, Jesus speaking to a group of people. He says, be therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. You know, God's requirement to be accepted is absolute perfection. You know, the Pharisees were religious leaders who thought they were all that. They would pray on the street corners. They, they, they constantly tried to put off an image that they were perfect. And God, Jesus said to a group of, uh, a group of uh, listeners, he says, unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the Pharisees, you can't enter the kingdom of heaven. Well, and to which all those listeners would say, how? How? There's no way. There's no way. And that's exactly the point. There's none righteous. All of us are, are sinners. And the Bible helps us understand we're trapped in that sin. And he says, hey, perfection is what is needed in order to be accepted of God, in order to, to be accepted into God's presence. And, and unless you have that, you're going to perish. You're going to receive the consequences of your sin. The Bible says in James 1 and verse number 13 that we aren't to blame God for our sin. Some people do that. He says, uh, no, let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. Now, temptation is not the sin. Yielding to the temptation is Satan is constantly tempting us to sin, and all too often we fall prey to his temptation we, we, because we're trapped in our sinfulness. We sin because we are sinners, and I want us to understand, not only are we trapped in our sin, we're trapped in the consequences of that sin. We're trapped in the consequences of that sin. I want you to think about that. The Bible said in, in Romans 5, verse number 12, that, that death passed upon all men, for that all men have sinned. It passed upon. We, we think, we hear about all these variants that spread, and, and people are washing their hands. I observed someone uh, yesterday washing their hands twice in, in, a, in, a given, in a given time, and I thought, wow, uh, that's how our, our world is thinking right now. We're just trying to you know, make sure that we don't get one of the variants or whatever, and, and, and we think about the spread. This, is the most, most, uh, this, this variant spreads the most, and we think, we hear a lot about that. You know that sin has spread across every single person, right? Because we're all from Adam, and therefore death has spread to every single person. So you ask, why do people die? Why is there war? Why do bad things happen to good people? Why is there disease? Why is there cancer? Why is there SIDS? Why? Because of sin. Not God's fault. Many people blame God for it. It's not God's fault. He was the one in the garden says, hey, walk with me. I have a, a plan for your life. I have this beautiful thing that I've, I've created as a family and this beautiful world that I've placed you in in the, in the garden. Everything's perfect and you can walk with me in the cool of the day. God was there wanting a relationship. He created us for a relationship, yet we broke his law, we violated his law, and we sinned against him, right? And so death is passed upon all men for that all men have sinned. And the Bible talks to us and it says that we are dead in our trespasses and sins. Dead is the idea of being separated. When Adam and Eve took of the fruit of the, uh, of the area of the knowledge of good and evil, the Bible says they died. They died spiritually. What happened? They were separated from holy God. In their spirit, their relationship was severed with holy God. 
And so at that very moment, it set in motion what would eventually lead to physical death, but it was first a spiritual death, the spiritual death, the separation between them and holy God. No longer did God come down in the, in the, the cool of the day and walk in fellowship with his creation because there was sin now. He's holy, they're sinful, and there was no relationship. That is the most awful thing in all the world to talk about is that separation that happened on that day when they chose to die. They're hopelessly trapped in this death, this separation between holy God and sinful man. And the Bible goes on to talk to us about the consequences of uh, sinful man or of this being trapped in our sin, Revelation 20, 21 and verse number eight, but the fearful and the unbelieving. I want you to really note and think about that, the unbelieving. What are they not believing? What are they choosing not to believe? They're choosing not to believe in the rescue plan of God. They're choosing not to believe in God. And so many in the world say, I, I deny God. And there's many, we hear about atheists, and we hear about those that, that don't believe that they can even know God, the agnostics, those that, that feel like they, they can't even know. God's not knowable. And he says, those that are unbelieving, and then he goes on, and the abominable and the murderers, and the whoremongers. Now, I don't know about you, those words sound really awful, right? No one wants to hang out with a murderer. How many of you, you know what I mean? No one wants to hang out with a murderer. Uh, we don't, we don't want to hang out with a whoremonger. We, we understand there's, there's, those sins are, they're, they're really awful sins, and God is, he's putting them in there right next to the unbelieving. And then he goes on, and the sorcerers, those that worship Satan, which is on the rise today. It's on the rise. It's even being sold to toys and you know, tarot cards and that type of stuff to, to kids for Christmas. And it, it, it is, it's so wrong. But God says, and the sorcerers and idolaters, those that worship something other than God. You say, oh, I don't do that. Hold, 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 hold on. We worship our cars. Some of you guys get a new car. You park it at the other end of the parking lot so it doesn't get a scratch on it, right? You know what I'm talking about? We worship it. Wipe off your feet before you get in my car. Get a mat out. You know what I'm talking about. You treat it like a uh, lady treats the kitchen, right? Uh, you know, we worship certain things. We worship money. Why? How do we know that? We pursue after it to a greater degree than we pursue after God. We worship security. We worship health. Our world is, is I mean, completely gone after worshiping safety and health you might not our world has and you realize all these things we put in front of god if i have this and don't have god i'll still be all right hold up we're idolaters and god talks about that and then he says this and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone which is the second death he gets to the actual consequence which is an eternal separation in a place called hell from and the separation from God for all of eternity. And he says, it is the unbelieving, those that refuse to believe my word, refuse to believe my gospel, that's their destination, as well as the whoremonger, as well as the sorcerer, as well as the, the murderer, all these, and oh yeah, and all liars, which is every one of us. Wow. So you realize all creation is born trapped in sin and therefore trapped in the consequences of sin. Friends, none of us like to be trapped, but do you know what? I fear that many times we're aware of physically being trapped, and we'll stay shy of that, but we're not aware of our, uh, how we can be spiritually trapped. We, you know, I'm all right, as long as I am able to go to work, as long as I'm able to pay my bills, have my family, have, have a good time, I'm okay. No, are you, are you spiritually trapped today? Are you trapped still in your sin? Are you trapped in the consequences of your sin? And the Bible goes on to tell us that God himself can accurately see us. We look at someone and say, they're a good person. That's a good man. That's a good woman. That's a good person right there. You know, God sees us all. And here's what God has said. Romans 3 and verse number 23. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Every single one of us. What is God saying? You're all trapped distant from me. There's a chasm, as you see there, in between us and God. 
That's how every single person in the world is born, separated from God. Where did that come from? As by one man, sin entered in the world, and death by sin, so that death passed upon all men, for all have sinned. What I want you to catch right now and keep in your mind is like Will, every single one of us was born trapped. My question is, are you trapped right now? Are you still trapped? My heart for you today is that, that we'd help you out of that, but I need you to first realize, hey, sin traps us, and we're trapped in the consequences of sin, and until you first realize where you are, you can't go to where Jesus wants you to be. Are you all in agreement with me? You can't, you, until you realize, hey, I got a sickness, I can't, I, I, I can't realize the, the solution to that sickness. I'm not going to go to the doctor. Guys are notorious for this, right? Right? Ladies, you all say amen. Guys, I don't want to go to the doctor. I, I'd rather be an ostrich putting my head in the sand. I'm not sick. I'm not sick. I'm not sick. Don't be like that with your sin. Every single one of us is trapped in our sin and therefore in the consequences of sin. And whether you're still trapped or not really has, uh, has to do with what you've done with Jesus Christ. We'll help you along with that, but I want you to think every single one of us is trapped and therefore, in the, uh, in the consequences of sin, are we trapped? And so con uh, continue to, to think about that as we go through this service. Ladies are coming to sing for us a song entitled, The Greatest Story Known, Ever Known, Ever Told, The Greatest Story, and it's of Jesus Christ. You know, so often we are going after something that is not a permanent solution. We talked about being trapped in our sin. What do we do? What do we do as people trapped in our sin, we often try to seek out solutions that will, in our own minds, rescue us. Uh, in that circumstance, you have a, you have a, a, a man who, who is constantly seeking to, uh, to provide for his family, and that's, that becomes his goal in the career and going after that, yet it isn't really what, what is needed. He, he's needed. He's needed. You know, the Bible tells us that what you think in your heart is what you really are. How you think inside of your heart and in your mind is, is what you really are. Proverbs 23 and verse number 7, For as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. You know, the message of the world is constant before us. We see it everywhere we go. On, on billboards, we see it in, in stores, in ads, and in the, the entertainment of the day. Everywhere we go, we see the constant message of the world, and it is this that you are basically a pretty good person and you need to think highly of yourself. Now, I'm not here to, to, you know, to push you down and, to, and you know, make you feel miserable, but I am here to, to alert you to the message of the Bible in a second. But I, I want us to consider this. So everywhere we are, the world is constantly saying, hey, you're basically a good person. You're basically a good person. This matter of you being trapped in sin, it's really not that big of a deal because as long as your you're good outweighs your bad, you're going to be all right. You're basically a, a good person. You're really great. Think positively. Don't, don't think too, bad, uh, too many bad thoughts about yourself. You're basically a good person. I often ask people uh, when I'm talking to them about Jesus and trying to help them understand eternal life, uh, hey, when you die, where will you spend eternity? All of us are going to die someday. Where will you spend eternity? And I hear many times, heaven. My follow-up question to that is, why? Why? And almost invariably, I'll get some variation of this answer because I'm a good person. I'm a good person. I'm pretty good. I love my neighbor. I follow the golden rule. I take care of my family. I provide. I'm a pretty good person. You know, the problem with that is good works are not the currency of heaven. They're not what God is looking for in order for you to step onto heaven's shores. In fact, good works make a terrible bridge. They, make, they do not in any way extend across the chasm of separation between you and your God. They, they, fall, they fall quite short. In fact, that's what God said. For the, uh, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, short of his standard. And so God says, no, it's not good works. In fact, he says in Titus, it's not by works of righteousness which we have done, but by his mercy he saved us. Your good works are not enough. 
You're caring for your family. You're providing for your family. You're being in church today. You being baptized. You going through religious tradition. You being kind to your neighbor, shoveling the, uh, your neighbor's driveway during the wintertime, uh, not, not, not retaliating against them, being kind at work. None of those good works save you. I'm not saying good works are bad. I'm saying they don't save you. They are not the bridge that, that crosses, that spans the chasm of separation between sinful man and holy God. Good works are not enough. They're not the currency of heaven. If you've ever traveled, you know that you have to exchange your currency, right? You have to exchange. Now, some people might take it as a novelty, but they, they, it's not the currency of that land. And so you have to exchange the currency in order to be able to, to live there and to buy, buy food and to buy goods. And so it is that we have to realize that my good works are not enough. I have to exchange it for something. I have to exchange it. And so the message of the world is it's constant. You're a pretty good person. Hold up. That's not what is needed to get into heaven. The message of the Bible is clear. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. That sounds like a pretty sour message, doesn't it? You know, sometimes pastors and churches, they get, you know, they kind of get a, a, a bad rap because they're always talking about the negative, always talking about the negative. Hey, I, I'm going to talk about the negative. We're trapped. Hey, good works aren't the currency of heaven because I want to get somewhere. I want you to, to grab a hold of a, a, a hopeful truth, but we have to first realize it's not my good works. There's none righteous, no, not one. I mentioned a while ago that, that the Bible says that even our righteousness is as filthy rags before God. Say, well, wait a minute. Hold up. So when I'm kind to somebody, when I when I do religious tradition and all, all that, that's not good enough to God? No, it's not. It's as filthy rags before him. And so we have to realize that everything that we do before a holy God is tainted by sin. The Bible says in the book of Proverbs that even the plowing of the wicked is sin. Even what the, the wicked man, the, the, the God-rejecting man, does on a daily basis, even to sustain life before a holy God is sin, you say, that's extreme. I want us to realize God is absolutely holy. One sin against him. One sin is too much. And we are born sinners, and we're trapped in that sin, and it's not our good works like the world says, that will make us good enough for God, but rather it is the righteousness of Jesus Christ, and we'll see that in a moment, but I want us to realize the Bible says there's none righteous, no, not one, all are sinners. It's really easy to talk about everyone out there, but when it comes to getting personal, I am a sinner, that's really hard. fact is, I talk to people, sometimes I'll, I'll, I'll lead them to that point, and I'll really encourage them to admit their own personal sinfulness before God, and, uh, well, I do bad things, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll kind of, you know, shift the, shift the, uh, the answer. I, I do bad things. Friends, we need to come to the point where we're willing to admit before a holy God, I am a sinner. Are you with me this morning? I am a sinner. Not all the world is a sinner, but I, Josiah, am a sinner. You know, I had to come to that point, it was at the age of 12 years of age, when I came to that point that I realized my own sinfulness before a holy God and that I was trapped in the consequences of sin. I was destined for hell as having been raised in a church. I, I think I've been in church probably, I could probably count on, on, on both hands the times I've not been in church on a Sunday or a Wednesday. Every service since I was born. That doesn't get me to heaven. Does not get me to heaven. And at 12, I had to come to the realization that isn't what God's looking for. That's not what is, is required before God. That is not good enough. My good works are not good enough. I am a sinner. Only Jesus himself is good. Only Jesus himself is good. Only he is righteousness. In fact, the Bible says in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. John 16, verse number 8, tells us that the Holy Spirit is sent into the world to convince us, to reprove the world of sin, our sin, of righteousness. That's Jesus' righteousness to prove to us, yes, he alone is righteous, and of judgment to come, to realize we're accountable before a holy God. So, God is working even in your hearts. I can, I can count on this. God is working in every heart in this way. He wants to prove to you, yes, I am a sinner. Jesus alone is righteous, and there is a judgment day coming when we stand before God. What we have done about our sin before a righteous Christ will make, uh, will make the difference in whether we're accepted into heaven. I want you to turn to a verse of Scripture. 
Turn over to Luke chapter number 13. You know, the Bible's fresh and it's constant. It's a living book. So as you read through it, and there's sometimes things just stand out to you a little bit more than others. But I, I would like for every one of you to, to, you know, to look at this uh, verse of Scripture and really ponder it. Because Jesus is talking to a group of people. He's talking to a group of people who have gathered together and they're, they're relaying a story. You know what's interesting? Sometimes as Jesus would walk around, people would all of a sudden get spiritual. You know what I'm talking about? Sometimes as a pastor, I, I find out uh, that sometimes people get spiritual when pastors get around. Not, and, and I'm like, hold up, I'm not your judge. Every once in a while I'll be somewhere and, and someone will cuss and they'll say, oh, I'm sorry, pastor, for cussing. I'm like, uh, here's, my, here's my statement back to them. I am not your judge. You don't answer to me. So sometimes people get spiritual. Here, some people got spiritual. It's a little bit comical because Jesus deals with them. And I want you to hear what, how Jesus does this. Luke 13, in verse number 1. There were present at, the sa- at that season some that told him of the Galileans. We're really good about talking to Jesus about other people. All right? Whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices... And Jesus answering said unto them, Suppose ye that these Galileans were sinners above all the Galileans because they suffered such things. So there was some persecution. They were, they were attacked personally. And, and Jesus kind of notes what's going on in their heart. They're relaying this whole story. And, and almost with a little bit of a, you know what I'm talking about, just a little bit of that air, that arrogance. And they're telling Jesus about these other Galileans that must have been some pretty bad sinners to, to be afflicted like this by, by Pilate. And so there, you know, there's this little bit of arrogance, and Jesus cuts right through the chase. He asks a question. He always asks questions, okay? So he asks this question. Hey, do you guys suppose that, that these Galileans that went through this affliction with Pilate were worse sinners than you because of this affliction? Well, that's interesting because we do that sometimes. Well, that person was a car accident. They must have sinned. That person's kind of having a bum rap in life. They must, have, they must have really done something wrong. They got God angry. And we do that. People do that all the time. And you know what? The whole teaching of karma. By the way, if you're a believer here today, that is an anti-biblical teaching. And you ought not be dabbling in it. It is a mindset, if I do good, I'll get good back. It's the mindset that goes right along with this, if I do good works, God will accept me. Friends, it's, 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 against the, it's against truth, and it's against even what Jesus was saying here. And so he says in verse number 3 of Luke 13, notice what Jesus says. Do we all agree that Jesus has, his words are authoritative? Do we all agree with that today? Okay, so if, he, if they're authoritative, then what he says next are really, really important. So notice in verse number 3, I tell you, nay, but except ye, talking to this group that thinks they're kind of really good, more than the other Galileans, except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. Uh Uh-oh. Because now Jesus just leveled the playing field. So it doesn't matter if you are a good person, you all need to repent. Huh. Huh. Interesting. Well, what is this idea of repent? There's a lot of misconceptions about that, even in, in, in churches that open up the Bible and preach from it every, every Sunday. There's some misconceptions. What does repent mean? Friends, repent simply means a change of mind. Did you notice when Will had a change of mind? I'm doing this to provide for my family. Oh, hold up. My family really just needs me. And along with that, the provision will come. But my family really needs me more than the provision. I, I'm not just trying to build a house. I'm trying to, to build a home. There was a change in his mind. Friends, there has to be a change in your mind as well. Yeah, I'm a sinner trapped in my sin and in the consequences of sin. And it's not my good works, my self-effort that gets me to God. It's not that uh, my self-effort that makes me good enough for God. I have to change my mind. Uh, repentance is a change of mind that results in a change of direction. I'm going this way. I'm good enough. 
I'll, I'll be a stand before God and he must accept me because I'm a pretty good person compared to my co-worker. I'm a pretty good person. Compared to those other Galileans, I'm a pretty good person. No, Jesus said you have to repent. Change your mind. And what along, comes along with that repentance is faith. Those two concepts in scripture, repentance and faith. In fact, God says it this way. Jesus speaking to another group of people. Mark 1.15, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. And notice what he says. Repent ye and believe the gospel. Repent ye and believe the gospel. Say that out loud with me. Repent ye and believe the gospel. What is it? We have the change of mind that results in a change of direction. I'm not believing in my own self-effort anymore. I'm believing in Jesus Christ. I'm believing in what he did for me at the cross. And friends, would you understand today that it's important for us to not only change our mind, that's, that's not enough. That it's not a work that we do. It's a, it, it, let me put it to you this way. It's two, two sides of the same coin. Repentance on one side is a change of mind. And as you repent, you place faith in Jesus Christ who alone can save your soul. Both of those are needed for salvation, a changing of mind. I'm not good enough for God. I, only Jesus is righteous. He's good enough for God. I accept him. I believe on him. So in the moment of repentance, there is also the expression of faith in Jesus Christ alone. Listen, repentance uh, to believe in, in yourself or in a renewed life. In some churches, they teach that repentance is a, a turning over of, a, of, of the leaf. So I'll try to do better. That's, that's not what Jesus is talking about repentance repentance towards jesus christ that's biblical repentance a changing of mind toward jesus christ and towards faith in him and that is what is needed for you to uh, to be released from this trap to be rescued from this trap many try uh, to do their good works and to go through that and and it's not enough it is not enough and as i've reiterated time and time again it's not enough and if you don't believe that go back to the illustration of the apostle paul how many of you are familiar with paul the Apostle Paul in the Bible, okay? Most of us are. Even if you've not read through the Bible much, most of us are uh, familiar with his life and testimony. He was a Pharisee. He persecuted those that followed Jesus Christ. He was so meticulous about following the 613 laws of the Old Testament. He was so meticulous about this. And, and he was a Pharisee. That was his whole life. He grew up doing everything according to the law, and he was meticulous about this. But the Bible says this in uh, 1 Timothy 1 and verse number 15, Paul giving testimony, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation. Everyone needs to hear this. Everyone needs to receive this, Paul says. That Christ Jesus came into the world, notice, to save, to rescue sinners, then notice, of whom I am chief. Say that out loud with me of whom I am chief. Do you know what Paul did there? I'm a sinner. You know, at some point in Paul's life on the road to Damascus, there was a change of mind. I'm not righteous, only Jesus is righteous, and I need him. That's the change that has to happen. And you might still be stuck. Well, I'm in church, or I go to church often. Have you, have you turned towards Jesus Christ in salvation? for salvation? Have you believed on him as the only righteous one? Or are you still holding on to your righteousness? I'm a pretty good person. I go to church. I'm kind to my family. I'm a pretty good person. Friends, there needs to be that repentance and the believing on Jesus Christ for salvation, that change of mind. And so here's my question to you. As the guys come to sing, will you listen to, will you listen to the messaging of the world? Are you going to listen to the message of the world, which is you're basically a pretty good person? Are you going to listen to the message of Jesus Christ? Which is this. Jesus alone is righteous. The only way to have true righteousness is through him. So in reality, we can all be rescued. We like stories that end well. And uh, you'd be pretty bummed if there was a story that ended poorly today. So we like stories that end well. But your story is still being written. You're going to spend somewhere for all of eternity. And if you remain trapped in your sin and the consequences of sin, clear from the scriptures is that the lake of fire is your eternity. I don't want that to happen, and neither does this church. And I don't think you really want that to happen. You all, we can all be rescued. We can all be rescued from our sin. And I want us to know, and you've heard this said before, but Jesus is the rescuer. He is our rescuer. Don't you believe that this morning? He is our rescuer. 
when he came into the world. And I want you to turn to Luke chapter number two and be ready there for a couple of verses. Luke chapter number two. But when he came into the world, he was proclaimed that night as the rescuer. Uh, someone did some wonderful uh, study and some research, but there are 400 prophecies concerning the coming rescuer, the Messiah, Jesus Christ himself, coming into the world. 400 prophecies in the Old Testament, some many years before, maybe even thousands of years before, others 700 years before, but there were 400 plus prophecies in the Old Testament prophesying the coming Messiah. That's pretty amazing. Jesus Christ himself. And you know, if you, if you were to think about that, the, the odds of that happening are amazing. And consider it with me. One man fulfilling every prediction about the coming Messiah, the Savior coming into the world, is, is, is impossible odds. Some folks did some work on it. A professor by the name of Peter Stoner worked with 600 students to figure out what the probability would be of just eight of the 400 prophecies, just eight of the 400 prophecies coming to, uh, to truth, coming to reality in one person. So we have 600 minds, 601 minds working on this together, and they came up with this. They came up with this. They came up that it would be one in 100 quadrillion. One in 100 quadrillion. Now, I, I know... Our minds just start, you know, you hear a number like that. Look at all those zeros. You, how many of you love math? Uh, that's, a, that's, a lot of, that's a lot of math that's having to go on there. That's why it took 600 of them to do it. Lee Strobel, in his, uh, in his book, A Case for Christ, he was an atheist turned Christian. Uh, he performed some calculations based on this, uh, on this figure, and he tried to make it so that we could understand what this would look like. So if you took a tile, he says, a tile that was one and a half inches square, and you laid that tile over all the dry land on earth, it would cover all the dry land, all the continents, all the dry land on earth. And, but if you had taken one of those tiles, and on the back you painted it red, and you had placed it on the red side down, and, and so all these tiles are laid out across the earth, and then you allowed one person to go across the earth and wander the continents for its, uh, their lifetime, and then they would have the chance to pick up one tile, just one tile. The chances of them picking up that one tile with the red painted back would be the same as all the prophecies of the Old Testament coming true in Jesus Christ. And friends, they did. All the way through the book of Matthew, you hear, as it was written, as it was written, down to, if you listen to last week's message, down to the very place that he was born in Bethlehem, yes, out even in the tower of, uh, the tower of the flock, yes, all of it was fulfilled in Jesus Christ, prophesied thousands, even hundreds of years before he came, all of it being fulfilled in him. Jesus Christ, the Messiah, has come. He's come to the world. And the Bible says here in Luke chapter number uh, 2 and verse number 11, for unto you, unto you, who's that you there, friends? Yeah, us, us. Unto me, you could say it like this, for unto me is born in the city of David, that's Bethlehem, a Savior. There's our word, a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Christ is the New Testament word for Messiah, the promised one, the one that had been prophesied and promised. The Lord being the one who is in charge of all things, and he is, and every knee will bow before him one day, whether they bow now willingly or one day uh, because they must, uh, every knee will bow before him as Lord, but Savior. Do you know that the Bible says over in the book of Matthew that he was to be named Jesus, and this is why, for he shall save his people from their sins. Do you know what Jesus means? Savior. Do you know what Jesus means? Rescuer, friends. We all have a rescuer in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. All those that are trapped in their sin and the consequences of sin, all those in the world trapped in that condition, which is everybody, he has come to rescue. That's his heart for every person alive. And you know what? Just like the rescue mission we've seen, there's urgency. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians that today is the day of salvation. Today is the day to be rescued. Not tomorrow. Well, I'll think about it. Not tomorrow. No, today is the day of salvation. Jesus wants to rescue you today, and Jesus will rescue you if you allow him to. If you allow him to. This is where that free will comes back into play. 
Every single one of us, every child here today, I'm so proud of every child sitting in here and listening, and you're, you're doing so well. Every child needs to be rescued from their sin. Every teenager needs to be rescued from their sin. Every adult needs to be rescued from their sin. And Jesus will do that if we allow them. We don't just receive the help, listen, friends. We don't just receive the help. We're receiving the rescuer as the rescue for our sin. That's an amazing thing. It's not just what he can give you, but I want him. He is my salvation. He is my satisfaction. He is everything. He wants to uh, rescue our souls. He is the rescuer. John 1 and verse number 12 says this, but as many as receive him, but as many as receive him, to them gave he the power, the authority, the right to become the sons of God, even to them, notice, that believe on his name. There's that believe again. I'm not righteous. He is, therefore I believe in him. That's the change of mind that results in a change of direction, believing and embracing him. Brother Dennis is an illust- you know, a guy that loves illustrations. So when I'm preaching, I always, ha- I always know I gotta give plenty of illustration for a segment of people that think like Brother Dennis. So I have pr- plenty of windows in. So he sends me on Friday, he sends me, I just heard this illustration. This would be a good illustration. So here it is today. It was. I guess there, are, there is, uh, the, the market for gift cards is, is pretty large, 100 billion plus. And it's, it's set to grow over the next couple of years to double that, uh, more than double that. So uh, I won't even ask how many of you said, you know what, I'm tired of, uh, of shopping, I'm doing gift card from here on out, all right? Uh, that's fine, gift cards are great. But what's interesting about the gift cards is that, that right now, at any given time, about $3 billion out of that 100 plus billion is never used. You say, how, many, how many of you say, I have a couple of unused gift cards in my wallet right now? Right? There, there's, there's the percentage. Hands are going up. All right. And you think about that. That's, that's a lot of money when you start adding it up. You know what happens? Those people, whether it's just by neglect, forgetting it, it got lost, for whatever reason, those people have not made good on a gift that was given to them. They've not received the gift. They received the gift card. They received the knowledge. They received, they received some understanding about it. The money is there, but they've not personally received it. They've not personally applied it into their own life. There's many people who know about Jesus, but they've not personally received it. They've not acted out on it. There's many people that will gather in church, but they've not personally received the message. It's like the man that was drowning, and he asked God, I need help, I need to be rescued. And he's drowning, and the boat had turned over, and, 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 and he's drowning. And you know, I just saw a, uh, a story last week about a person plunging in, the car that plunged into Niagara Falls. Any of you see that picture? That is crazy. Uh, and it, that story didn't end well, you know, but the, the rescuers and all their effort, I mean, just a crazy scenario. But consider that. So this guy's asking, this is, a, this is just a story, and he's asking God for help, and, and uh, a boat comes along. And he goes, no, I've, I've asked God for help. I, I've asked God for help. And so he ends up drowning, and he, and he dies, and he stands before God, and he, he asks God this question, why didn't you save me? To which God says, I sent you a boat. I sent you a boat. And you know there's a lot of people in the world right now. Well, I'm going to go stand before God, and it's up to him to welcome me into his presence. And in essence, they'll stand before him. Why didn't you save me? And he'll say, I sent Jesus Christ. I sent Jesus Christ. Friends, I find that I have a, a sense that there will be a lot of people that miss heaven and go to hell right at this point because they've not personally received it. They know about it, but they've not personally received it. If $3 billion can sit on gift cards and not be made good on, there are a lot of people who spiritually do the same exact thing. They haven't personally received it. My question to you is not have you been to church all your life, not have you fulfilled some religious tradition, not are you a good person. My question to you is as a trapped sinner, trapped in the consequences of your sin, who cannot do enough good works to be, uh, to be accepted of God, have you personally received the rescue of Jesus Christ? Have you personally received him? That's my question to you. And I'm glad you're here today, but this is why we've come today, is to talk about this specific topic. Have you received the Lord Jesus Christ? We've been talking about, over this past month, we've been talking about the subject of comfort and joy, and that Jesus himself is comfort and joy, and he brings that into our life. 
We hear that come up in different songs, Christmas carols that, that we sing. But friends, unless you personally receive him, he cannot be your comfort and joy. He can be other people's comfort and joy, but he cannot be your comfort and joy, your peace in your heart, your helper, your rescuer, your joy that is, is not dependent on circumstances. The Bible says this, Acts 16, verse 31, believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Put your faith in him, trust in him, depend upon him and him alone. Not him in your church, not him in your good works, but him and him alone. He is the rescuer. You realize that when someone tries to help out the rescuer, a, drown, a drowning person, when they try to help out the rescuer, it makes it harder, right? It makes it many times impossible. But it certainly does in our, in, 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 in our situation between us and Christ. You can't help Jesus rescue you. He is the rescuer. And he has strength enough to do it. Aren't you thankful for that? He has strength enough to do it. Praise the Lord. And he is, a, he is a good God. So believe on him. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Wait a minute, where's baptism? Baptism is, is what we do because we are saved. It's our first step of obedience to tell the world, I decided to follow Jesus. I decided to believe on him. Baptism doesn't save you. If you're looking to baptism to save you, you're just getting wet. It's true. It's an inward decision. The Bible says in Romans 10, verse number 9, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, he was victorious over sin, death, and hell, thou shalt be saved. Now notice, for with the heart, with the heart, your mind, that mind that's changing from your righteousness to his righteousness, and believing on him, for with the heart, man, notice, believes unto righteousness, his righteousness. And with a mouth, confession is made. When I pray to accept Jesus Christ, and I'm going to give you that opportunity in a moment, when I pray to accept Jesus Christ, I'm declaring what's going on in my heart. It's not words that save me. It's the belief in the heart, the dependence of the heart. What are you depending on today to get you to heaven? The only answer is Jesus Christ and his cross. That's the only bridge across. Your good works are not enough. Believing in Jesus Christ is it. Now, you'll find people that say, I believe, and they live like a devil. That's not what God's talking about, friends. When Christ comes into our heart, 2 Corinthians 2 and verse, uh, 5 and verse number 17, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are becoming new. It does not mean that Christians do not struggle with sin. Okay, let's really... Because a lot of people get all tied up in this whole repentance thing that if I, you know, we're talking about works. No, we're not talking about works. We're talking about change of mind that results in a change of direction. I'm accepting Jesus by faith. But when Jesus is in my life, he ought to be changing something. And that's what the Bible says. That's the outflow of salvation. That's the outflow of him rescuing me. My life is changing. Do you know what? I hope by God's grace, I'm a little closer and more like Jesus Christ today than I was five years ago. And even then last week, we're all growing. So sin, uh, saved people, rescued people do struggle with sin. That's a reality. But Jesus Christ is the one that saves. That's a moment in time of salvation that, that begins a lifetime of transformation into the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. But here's where I'm concerned this morning. Have you received Jesus? Have you received Jesus? Let me give you this and then I'm going to give an invitation. There's a song we sing uh, God rest ye merry gentlemen. How many of you are familiar with that? Okay, God rest ye merry gentlemen. Listen to the verse of this song. Listen really closely. You hear this in stores and all over places? Listen, listen really carefully. God rest ye merry gentlemen. Let nothing you dismay. Why? Remember Christ, the Messiah, our Savior, Jesus, was born on Christmas Day. Why? To save us all from Satan's power when we were gone astray. And then notice what the chorus says. O oh, tidings of comfort and joy. Comfort and joy, O oh, tidings of comfort and joy. Listen, that's the joy our world needs. That's the joy you need in your heart this Christmas season. Is not more stuff. Is not a religious tradition just coming to church and fulfilling, well, I went to church on Christmas. No, 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 no. You need Jesus himself who is your rescuer, who wants to save you from being trapped in your sin, the consequences of sin, wants us to change your mind from thinking you're good enough to he's good enough, and he wants you to receive him. My question is, have you received him? Have you received him? 
Would you bow with me? And what I'm going to uh, do right now is just give an opportunity for you to respond to God, not to me, to respond to God. Piano's going to play, and I want to ask you a couple questions. First of all, my first question is, have you received him? Have you today received him? Do you know that when you die, you'll spend eternity in heaven because you've received the rescuer? You're not trusting in your baptism. You're not trusting in your good works, going to church, or anything else. You're trusting in Jesus Christ alone. Have you received Jesus Christ? You'd say, Pastor, that is my testimony. I have a Bible reason. I remember back to the day that I accepted Jesus. I remember back when I received him. I admitted that I was a sinner. I admitted that only he is righteous. I received his rescue that was created for me. It was, uh, it was bought for me at the cross. I have received Jesus Christ. Would you raise your hand to that if that's you this morning? I have received Jesus Christ. Christ. I have received Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. That's a great testimony. Isn't that a great thing to be able to say? If you're saved and you know it this morning, would you just say amen? Isn't that a great thing? Now, here's, here's my concern. Some of you were not able to raise your hand. I'm not going to point you out. This is a decision between you and God, but I want to help you. I hope you understand that, believe that this morning. That's really my mission. That's my life's calling, is to help you. If you're not able to raise your hand, I first want to ask you why. Is it that maybe you doubt that you're good enough for God? Uh, maybe you, you don't have a time where you have admitted your, your sinfulness before God and you've come to Jesus Christ as the only rescuer? Is it that you've never just had the opportunity? You've, you've never thought about it in this way. I, I don't know what the reason may be, but for you that weren't able to raise your hand, could I encourage you? Today is the day of salvation. Today is. The Bible says we aren't to wait, but Jesus is asking you now to accept him. If you would believe that you are a sinner and that you, that you do not deserve to be in heaven with him, but you rather deserve the punishment of hell, say, that's really hard, Pastor. I know. I know. I don't even like talking about it, but I have to. I have to, because that's, that's where we're trapped as human beings. We're trapped before holy God. Maybe today you'd say, boy, pastor, I'd really like to receive him. How so? Remember a moment ago, with the heart man believes unto righteousness, with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. So if you already believe in your heart, yes, I'm a sinner. Yes, my sin does deserve the penalty of hell. I am separated in him. I do deserve that. I deserve that. I deserve that. But I believe that Jesus came and died on the cross for my sins in my place, and he bore the full penalty of my sin. And if I will receive him, he will rescue me from all of my sin. My favorite verse in all the Bible is, as far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. The Bible says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. I want to receive that. Maybe that's you here this morning. I want to receive that. Personally, I want to receive that. Then I'd encourage you to pray a prayer like this. Remember, words don't save you. But if it is your heart belief, I would encourage you to pray a prayer similar to this. Dear Jesus, I believe in my heart that you are God. I believe that you died for all of my sins and rose again. I confess to you now that I am a sinner and that I do deserve the penalty of hell. I ask you to be my Savior right now. I place 100% of my trust in you to come into my life to give me eternal life and to take me to heaven someday. I accept your free gift of eternal life. Thank you for keeping your promise and answering this prayer. 